Hi, this is Pastor Daryl Beggs. You're listening to Sunday Morning Sermons from Central Baptist Church in Hillsboro, Texas. Thanks for joining us, and God bless you. If you will, open your Bibles to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 2. We are beginning a new series this morning leading up to Easter on the signs, the seven signs um, in John's Gospel. So we're going to begin doing that today. This past week, I had to put my truck in the shop. Little Red got tired and had to put it in the shop. You know, my truck is the envy of the whole town, I think, and I, uh, I hated to be without it. It's a, it's a 2006 Isuzu with 254,000 miles, and I don't know why, but sometimes it just has to have maintenance. But it was showing for several weeks now, probably months, it's just been telling me that I'm out of gas. But I wasn't really out of gas. The truck was not really out of gas. But anyway, uh, but so I had to just push the mileage thing every time I filled it up. So I, I knew about how many miles it gets to the gallon so I could know when to go back and put gas in it again. But sometimes I forgot to push it. So I, had, I was kind of playing a guessing game on whether I was, still had plenty or not. So I'd stop and put some more in it just to be sure. Uh, but the interesting thing about it was that no matter how much gas was in there, it was always saying empty. It was just all the way down on the bottom. And there was a little warning sign that would come up and say, low fuel, low fuel, low fuel. And uh, it was giving a false reading. Actually, the resources were there, but the reading was false. So I want to talk to you about a story today about, you know, that's kind of like Jesus, isn't it? He, the resources are always there, but sometimes we get a false reading on our faith and, and how to put our trust in Him. And we're going to look today at the first of these seven signs. Now, when you look at the Gospel of John, it doesn't call miracles miracles. It calls them signs. What are they signs to? Well, a sign is something smaller that kind of points to something bigger. And these signs point to Jesus and His bigness, His divinity and His deity and who He is and what He can do. It's an interesting thing, though, that Jesus begins with this sign. If you were on the committee to work with Jesus to help Him how to make, a, you know, how to make a splash when you begin your ministry, you know, you might not pick this one, especially if you're a Baptist. But anyway, uh, you might not pick this one. You might say, well, you know, we need to start off with a bang. Why don't you just raise somebody from the dead right away? Or, or maybe you could feed thousands of people with one little loaf of bread and a couple of sardines, you know, or something like that. Just do something really cool right out of the box and just wow them. But this story really isn't that spectacular. I mean, it's neat and it's cool, but it's really probably one of the most simple miracles that Jesus ever performed, a simple sign, and yet it was very important. So let's read about it in John chapter 2, beginning with the first verse. It says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. third day was after he had the encounter with Nathanael, which is back in chapter 1. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing twenty or thirty gallons each. And Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. 
when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. They were running on empty, but Jesus knew how to take care of their problems. It's the only miracle that he performed. Listen to this. I, I wrote this quote down of one of my commentators. I thought it was pretty funny. He says, this is the only miracle that Jesus performed that makes some church people very uncomfortable. Instead of trying to understand the, this miracle and enjoy it, some people spend more time trying to figure out how to turn the wine back into water. <laughs> I heard a story about a... Uh, a uh, man, uh, this lady who was really, you know, she was really against alcohol and she was going around different places and speaking and just really hammering it. And of course, you know, I don't drink and hopefully you don't either because it's a terrible thing in our society today. But, you know, you got to tell the truth or try to anyway. But anyway, he got up there and she said, now I'll take any questions. And one young man got in the back and she said, well, didn't Jesus turn water into wine? And, and the little old lady said, yes, he did. And I'd have thought a lot more of him if he hadn't have done that. So anyway, um, <laughs> but the reason we're looking at this story has nothing to do with that. It has to do with we're looking at these seven signs, and this is the beginning one. Now, Jesus had to perform this miracle, this sign, for one reason. And one reason really uh, was the main reason was that they ran out of wine. And we'll talk about why that was so important in a minute. But uh, it was very, very practical sign that he performed. Um, the problem for them was that they were running on empty. They were running out. Now, think about that in your own life. Do you ever feel like you're running on empty? I mean, spiritually, you're running on empty, or you're just, the day is not the best day, and you can't wait to get home, or, you know, there's just all kinds of times in our lives when we feel like we're really kind of running on empty. Uh, you got a problem you can't solve. you got a crisis that you're having a hard time dealing with. You, you kind of come to the end of your rope on something and you, you kind of tie a knot and hang on, but you're just, you're, you're just running on empty. There is, there is something there that's bigger than you, like this problem. It was bigger than Mary. It was bigger than the people at the wedding. And aren't you thankful that when things are bigger than us, we have a God who is much bigger than our problems and our needs? And that's what these signs and these stories are really all about. So uh, the key takeaway from this is our problems are always God's possibilities. So what do we do when we're running on empty? First of all, notice that when we're running on empty, we turn to Jesus. That's what Mary did. The problem was that the wine was gone. Now, why was that a big deal? Well, back then, uh, wine was, wine was kind of like the cake is to us. You just go to a good Baptist wedding and you don't have a cake, you're probably going to leave. You know, you want some cake. You know, nowadays things are so extravagant, you want cake and food and, you know, anything and everything. You know, I know some people show up to weddings just to, you know, they, the first thing they ask is, what are they going to have? You know, that sort of thing. It's you know, not really there for the couple of the wedding. It becomes this big spectacle. But anyway, if you show up and there's not a cake, never watch one of those videos, uh, those failure videos and I get sucked into those things, and it's terrible. You, sh you watch one after another, and then pretty soon, you know, a week's gone by, and you need to shave. But anyway, uh, you got, you got uh, 
But I hate the ones where they're, you know, the ones where somebody knocks over this wedding cake. And I just, every time I see that, I think horror of horrors. You know, some poor family paid probably a thousand bucks for that cake, and now some idiot knocked it over, you know, and ah, oh, it would be terrible. But if you showed up today and there's no cake, you know, that, that would be a bad thing. Well, back then, the wedding cake of that day was the wine. It, it was the provisions that they, they gave. And so if you ran out of that, it was a big problem. Now, was it a life and death problem? No, it wasn't life and death, but it was a problem. And that's kind of how it is for us. You know, most of our problems are not life and death, but they're problems to us. They're needs that we have. And we need somebody bigger than us to help us with them. So uh, what's important is not the problems that we face so much as it how we face the problems. But Mary had a good idea. She knew where to turn. She turned to Jesus. Now, I don't know what Mary had to do with this. I know Cana was a small town. I, I heard somewhere or read somewhere that it was probably around 500 people. So it was just a little town. And, of course, if there's a wedding in a small town where everybody knows everybody, and then you've got these little towns around here, and they're all, you know, people are related. And uh, I was at a, I helped do a funeral back in Teague on uh, Thursday morning, I think it was. They run together, but uh, the pastor there got up and he said, you know, one thing me and the other preacher found out is the only people who aren't related to somebody around here is me and him. So that, that's how it is in a small town, you know, that's that's how it goes. Well, they're probably all related to one another. Maybe Mary was good friends with this couple, and she was kind of playing the hostess role. And so, man, when this ran out, it would be an embarrassing, terrible thing for a wedding in that day. So she turned to Jesus, and she didn't push the panic button. She didn't get all worried. She didn't pitch a fit. She just turned and, and tells him the problem. Now, isn't that what we always do? Whenever we have a problem, we just calmly turn to Jesus and give it right? Uh, probably not. A lot of times that's kind of the last resort that we turn to Jesus. But Mary teaches us a great lesson here. She didn't get upset. She didn't get worried. After all, you know, she's been raising the Son of God for a long time, and it's about time he started pulling his weight, right? And so she says, we're, we're out of wine. Uh, but, you know, God wants to hear about every problem that we have. And you may be thinking, God already knows our problems. So why does he need to hear from me? You are right that God knows your problems. But you're wrong when you think he doesn't want to hear about them. He loves you like you love your children or your grandchildren, but only magnified a million times over he knows your hurts. He knows your thoughts. He knows your needs. He knows your problems. He wants you to bring them to Him. He wants you to turn to Him. He's bigger than you and me. And oh, thank, thank the Lord that He is. He wants to hear about what He already knows. Now, I'm, uh, my children are both in their 30s now, and I can't give them advice like I used to. And if they would just ask me, I could help, right? You ever feel that way as a parent? You know, your kids get grown up, and, but they're not little and at home anymore. And so you don't butt in or, you know, you try not to, but you wait for them to come to you and then you can help them. Well, that's kind of how it is with our Heavenly Father. You know, we're His children, but sometimes He don't butt in until we're... We invite him to come in until we turn to him. Sometimes I think he's just waiting for us to, uh, to call on him. So why does God allow problems? 
Now, we had a terrible thing happen in Florida this past week, and it, it happens way too often. Why does God allow problems? God is, is powerful enough to prevent every tragedy. He is powerful enough to prevent every problem. He is powerful enough that you and I would never have to be sick for a day. We'd never have to lose a loved one. We'd never have to see terrible news. You know, one of the reasons, I think, in this world that is fallen because of sin, therefore, it's always going to be that way until Jesus comes again. But I think one of the reasons why God allows problems into our lives personally is that if He didn't, we would never call on Him. We would never turn to Him. We would never trust in Him. We would never be dependent upon Him. And if we weren't, we would never be ready for eternity. And God's major goal in this life is to prepare us for the next one because He doesn't want to leave us here. He doesn't want to send us to a sinner's devil's hell. He wants us to be with Him for all eternity. So He uses problems in life as a magnet to draw us toward Him and to turn us toward Him. And it's going to be that way until one day when everything's perfect. And when that day comes, it'll be a glorious day. But until then, we're here and we have problems. But we don't have a problem that is too big to turn to Jesus. So, first of all, when you're running on empty, you turn to Jesus. And then secondly, you talk to Jesus. That's what Mary did. She said, hey, we're out of wine. And uh, someone said, a problem well stated, it's a problem half solved. So she just tells him exactly what the problem is. Now, it was a big problem for her because, again, if you ran out of wine in a Jewish wedding, the social event of the year, especially in Cana, that little town, oh, what an embarrassment that would have been. Let me tell you a little something about a Jewish wedding. It usually began with a ceremony at sundown in the synagogue, and then the entire wedding party the entire wedding party would leave the synagogue and begin a long candlelight procession through town. Wouldn't that be cool to do it that way nowadays? I don't know, but I'm sure it was fun for them. There was no cars, you know, not all this traffic and all the business. It's just, you just walk through town or maybe you rode your donkey. I don't know, but you had candlelights and they would go through and the people would come out and congratulate them and cheer for them and encourage them. And then they would go back to the couple's home and they would have a party a celebration and this this would go on for several days and there would be gifts and speeches and encouragement and this people would just shower love on them and what a wonderful tradition it must have been at a Jewish wedding but you you didn't want to run out Uh, hospitality at wedding was considered such a sacred duty it was considered such a sacred duty that the head waiter at the at the wedding if they ran out of refreshments could be sued. You think we're so happy now. How about suing somebody over running out of cake, you know? But that's how bad it was. So that's why Mary calls to Jesus. She puts in a 911 and says, hey, I got to have help here. I can't do anything about this. And so Jesus responds. I love the response, don't you? In, in verse 4, Jesus said to her, woman, now woman wasn't disrespectful. It was way of, it was kind of like a southerner saying, ma'am. But Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. And I like what one commentator said about that. He says, I always get a kick out of Jesus getting away with saying that to his mom. Woman, why are you bothering me with this? My hour has not yet come. Men, try this at home. 
The next time you're watching a ball game and your wife asks you to take out the garbage or help with the dishes, just quote Jesus and say, woman, why are you bothering me? My time has not yet come. And then see what happens. And then give me a call. I'll meet you at the emergency room. So what was Jesus saying? He was saying, it's not time for me to reveal my glory yet. It wasn't quite time, and yet he went. I always, I always want to think that Jesus looked at Mary with a twinkle in his eye and maybe gave her a little wink. I don't know, but I just love to see it that way. I just, I just hate to see Jesus as some, you know, like sometimes they picture him in the movies like he's always kind of spaced out. You know, I think he was a real person and enjoyed laughing and, and having a good time, and I'm sure... I'm sure he, he gave his mom a hard time from time to time to, to have fun with her. So anyway, I don't know. That's kind of just my imagination, but it wasn't exactly time. But why did Jesus do this? Because what matters to us matters to him. What mattered to his mother mattered to him. What matters to you as his child matters to him. If we have a problem, he has a problem. And he has a possibility of taking our problems and turning them into something special where we can trust him. And so she turned to Jesus and she talked to Jesus. And why did he do this as his first miracle? Why did he change water into wine? He did it because he cared. He saw a need and he met the need. And their problem is his possibility. 1 Peter 5, 7 has got to be one of all of our favorite verses. It says... Cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for me. That's the bottom line. He cared for her. He cared for those people. Do you know why you can bring all your problems and your cares? Because he cares for you and he cares for your cares. He cares for what's bothering you, what's hurting you, what your problems are. There's a depth of caring in Jesus that you and I could never understand. And I think sometimes, sometimes the enemy wants to push us away from him and say he doesn't care or he wouldn't allow these things to happen or say he doesn't care because you stepped over the line or he doesn't care because you just did something stupid and most of us do that from time to time. But he does care. You remember what the scripture, what Jesus said? He said, if you then know how to give, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your father, how much more does your heavenly father want to give good gifts to you? Even us in our imperfect love, when our kids mess up and when they're in problems, we hurt for them. We want to give them good gifts. We want to give them encouragement. He's the perfect father. How much more does he care for us? That he want, does he want to intervene? And so when you're running on empty, you can turn to him. You can talk to him. And then finally, you have to trust him. That's the next thing. You can't just go through the motions, can't you? can you? You have to. If you turn to him and talk to him, then you really have to trust him. And so look at the next line in verse 5. She said, whatever he says to you, do it. It's the best advice in all the Bible, isn't it? It's the best advice in history. Whatever Jesus says, just do it. If we would do that, we could really save ourselves a lot of heartache, couldn't we? If we just do what he says. And it's easier said than done sometimes. But it doesn't, you know, whether it's your marriage, your finances, your, you got family issues, you've got something that's bothering you, and whatever it is, if we would just turn to Him and trust in Him and 
talk to him, that then he could really help us if we just do what he says. Do you know why as Christians so often that we're not happy, we don't have joy? It's because we did not do the last thing he told us to do. Let me say that again. Because I found it to be true in my own life. Sometimes the reason that our joy is gone and our relationship seems cold is that we did not do the last thing he told us to do. And so when we talk to him, he says something like this. Okay, you can get second-hand information if you want to, but if you really want me to bless you, just do the last thing I told you to do. It would be so much easier if we would just do that. You know what the Scripture says? In John chapter 13, the King James Version, it says, If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Most of the time, it's not that we don't know what God wants us to do. It's just that we do, but we're just too stubborn to do it. And we lose our joy and our standing. So we get back to verse 6. And uh, Jesus has them fill these water pots up. There's six of them there. They hold about 20 or 30 gallons. So he turns that into wine. But notice he has them, they fill them up all the way to the brim. There's a picture there. And the picture is this. The old covenant is full. It's over. Jesus is it's coming to an end. He's going to fulfill all of the necessary requirements for that old covenant. And he's going to bring new wine, a new covenant, a new way to relate to God where you don't have to jump through all the hoops of the sacrifice. He becomes our sacrifice. He becomes our personal Savior. He becomes new wine to fill our hearts. What an exciting concept that is. And so they fill these water pots. And, but notice that the servants, before he changed the water, they had to do what? They had to fill the pots. When does blessing come? Blessing, does blessing come before we obey or after? It comes after. They had to, and you'll notice that as we go through these seven signs, you'll notice that he's using people. He's using people to help him with these miracles. He, he uses, a, he spat on the ground and made clay and put it on the blind man's eyes and he went and washed. And uh, he had the disciples uh, pass out the food when he fed the 5,000. And there's just several instances where he uses people. So he wants us to be part of the signs and the miraculous things that he does through our obedience. And so uh, that's what he did. Now, the interesting thing about those pots were they weren't used for, they weren't used for drinking water. You know what they were used for normally? To wash hands and feet. Can you imagine if the head waiter had known where that came from? <laughs> they might have, those servants might have been in big trouble. But people didn't know. That, you know they, the only ones knew were Jesus and the servants. Everybody else was oblivious to this. He didn't have to do it for his reputation or anything. He just did it. But notice not only did he meet the need, he, met, he, he turned all of that water into wine. So do you think they had plenty? I think they had more than enough. So what does that mean for you and me? When we, when we learn to turn to Him and talk to Him and trust Him, not only will He meet our needs so often, He will go above and beyond. Have you ever found that to be true? Yeah, I mean, He goes above and beyond. Why does He do that? So that we can be spoiled rotten kids? No, so that we can give Him glory and share it with somebody else. That's the whole idea. He never gives us things just so we can selfishly enjoy it. He always gives it 
to be shared and enjoyed with other people. And, and that's part of the, the whole thing here. So if he can take this foot-washing water and turn it into the best wine this wine connoisseur has ever tasted, just think what he can do with our problems and our needs and, and how he can turn them into greater possibilities. You know what the best thing that happened that day was? The best thing that happened goes back to the first couple of verses where it says Jesus and his disciples were invited. The best thing that happened that day wasn't the marriage. It was the invitation that said, Jesus, I want you to come. If we just invite Jesus into our lives and our needs and our problems, it would make things a whole lot better. And that's the best decision you can ever, ever make. And so... Your problems, my problems, can be God's possibilities. Yesterday, uh, Denise and I and our grandson, Jace, went down, we went back home to Glenrose and uh, went around there, and things have changed a little bit there. But there's one thing that never changes. There's a park down there on the Paluxy River, and it's called Big Rocks. It's always been Big Rocks because there's these big rocks, big, huge rocks. And you go down there and climb on those rocks, and... I mean, they're really, really big. How many of you have ever been to Big Rocks and Glen Rose? Oh, some of you know what I, what I mean. So just explain to your neighbor. But anyway, the, they're really big. And you, you climb up on these rocks, and you can jump from one to the other. And uh, so I'm over there playing with Jace. And, uh, and I'm jumping across rocks and climbing places I probably wouldn't have if he hadn't been there with me. But we... Uh, we were climbing up on these big rocks. And we got to the edge of one of these rocks, and there was a I almost I started to use the word chasm, but that sounds too big. You know, it's just there's a big space between these two rocks. Is that a chasm? It's what? A what? A crevice. Crevice doesn't sound as intimidating as a chasm. But anyway, <laughs> it was there. And we were on this big rock, and we wanted to go to the next big rock. And I looked at him, and he looked at me with these doubtful eyes. And then he reached out his little hand, and I grabbed it. And we jumped across together. <laughs> and we made it just fine. And it's just a picture of, you know, we need to have childlike trust. Sometimes our problems are tremendous. I mean, you may be going through something today that's just hurting. And if you are, I just want you to know and believe that Jesus really does care. He cares so much. He loves you beyond anything you could imagine. Whether it's a relationship problem or financial or whatever you're struggling with. Maybe you're just hurting, going through grief. I know how that is. That, that can be debilitating and all of those things. But He cares. So I want to encourage you to, to turn to Him in a fresh way today and just talk to Him. And be honest, be totally honest. Mary just told him flat out, here's the problem. And then trust him. And when you start doubting and worrying again, just go back. <laughs> you know, that's, that's where we run into problems a lot of times. We do it once and then we don't go back when the doubts flood in and the fears. But you know what's good about Jesus? He not only has fills the water pots, but he keeps them filled 
with new wine for us to partake of every day. And isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a great promise? Let's stand together this morning.